Do open up your Bibles. We have our reading for tonight. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 29. And the Red Church Bible on your table is page 301. 1 Samuel 29. We're going to read through two chapters tonight. And then we'll invite James to come and speak. And I've asked Hannah and Ben to read the passages for us. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 29, verse 1. The Philistines gathered all their forces to Aphek, and Israel camped by the spring in Jezreel. As the Philistine rulers marched with their units of hundreds and thousands, David and his men were marching at the rear with Achish. The commanders of the Philistines asked, What about these Hebrews? Achish replied, Is this not David, who was an officer of Saul, king of Israel? He has already been with me for over a year, and from the day he left Saul until now, I have found no fault in him. But the Philistine commanders were angry with Achish and said, Send the man back, that he may return to the place you assigned him. He must not go with us into battle, or he will turn against us during the fighting. How better could he regain his master's favour than by taking the heads of our own men? Isn't this the David they sang about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. So Achish called David and said to him, As surely as the Lord lives, you have been reliable, and I would be pleased for you to serve with me in the army. From the day you came to me until today, I have found no fault in you, but the rulers don't approve of you. Now turn back and go in peace. Do nothing to displease the Philistine rulers. But what have I done? asked David. What have you found against your servant from the day I came to you until now? Why can't I go and fight against the enemies of of my lord, the king? Achish answered, I know that you have been as pleasing in my eyes as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the Philistine commanders have said, He must not go up with us into battle. Now get up early, along with your master's servants who have come with you, and leave in the morning as soon as it is light. So David and his men got up early in the morning to go back to the land of the Philistines, and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So 1 Samuel chapter 30. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Malachites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They have attacked Ziklag and burned it, and then uh, taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found, they found it destroyed by the fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahanom of uh, Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking, uh, talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in sprint because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord, his God. Then David said to uh, Abathar, the priest, the son of Amalek, bring me the ephod. Abathar brought it to him, and David inquired to the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and the 600 men with him who came to the Bezor Valley were some stayed behind. Sorry. 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley, but David and the other 400 continued to put the pursuit. 
They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat, part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins. He ate and was revived, uh, for he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. David asked him, who do you belong to? Where do you come from? He said, I am an Egyptian, the slave of of an Amalite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided the Negev of the Kerathites, some territory belonging to Judea and the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag. David asked him, can you lead me down to this raiding party? He answered, swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master, and I will take you down to them. He led David down, and there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and uh, revealing because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judea. David brought them from dusk until the evening of the next day, and none of them got away, except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks of herds and his men drove them ahead of the others' livestock, saying, this is David's plunder. Then David came to 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow him and who were left behind at the Bezor Valley. They came out to meet David and the men with him. As David and his men approached, he asked them how they were, but all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers said, because they did not go out with us, we will not share with them the plunder we recovered. However, each man may take his wife and children and go. David replied, no, my brothers, you must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and delivered into our hands the raiding party that came against us. Who will listen to what you say? Uh, the share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to the battle. All will share alike. David made this statue, I don't know, sorry, an ordained for Israel from the day to this. When David reached Ziklag, he sent some of the plunder to the elders of Judea, who were his friends, saying, here is a gift from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. David sent it to those who were in uh, Bethel, Ramoth, Negev and Jatir, to those in Oria, Sifmoth, Esamoa, and Rakal, to those in the towns of Jerem, there's a lot of hard names, to those who are bought, and to those in other places where him and his men had roams. Well done, Ben. Great. Good read. Let me pray for James now as he comes to explain those hard names to us. Father God, thank you for this word. Thank you for your truth that we see in, in the Bible. Help James now to proclaim it to us well, to stir our hearts with point by pointing us to the Lord Jesus and the truth revealed in your word here tonight. So please equip him with all he needs. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Cracking effort, Ben, on those names. That was, yeah, amazing. Um... Well, there's a couple of uh, sheets around on the tables kind of on this side. If you fancy your sheets to kind of focus your mind as you're listening, if it helps to write stuff down, there's some questions and stuff on that. If you want one of those, go and grab them. Uh, But it's a joy to open up God's Word, isn't it? Um, 
Please do keep those chapters open in front of you. Um, and there's a lot for us uh, that we've just read. Um, we're not going to be able to go into all of it. We'd, we'd be here for a long time, and I wish we could. But we've only got a short amount of time. Um, but there's so much for us to learn from one Samuel this evening. God's sovereignty, uh, his power, his love for his people. Um, I'm just going to pray again uh, before we come to his words. Lord Jesus, thank you uh, that we can worship you this evening. Lord God, thank you that your word is mighty, is powerful. Please open our hearts, open our uh, ears uh, to hear. Lord, please step forward from the pages of your words into our hearts this evening. By your Holy Spirit, please change us uh, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want you to, I want you to picture the scene. It's a, a Tuesday night. It's like tonight, raining outside. You've settled in for the night. Uh, the slippers are on. And then you remember, it's bin day tomorrow, and you haven't put the bins out. Um, you've, I'm sure many of you have had this realization, probably those at the back less so. Um, but I'm sure you, you can get on the concept of a bin and still get on board with the illustration, hopefully. <laughs> So <laughs> you'll go to the kitchen and you'll go to take the bin out and you start lifting it out. It's full to overflowing. And you wiggle it and jiggle it. It stretches a little. Uh, it rips a little bit here. But you tell yourself it'll be fine. It'll be fine. You pull it out. It finally comes free. You tie it up. You don't really trust it, but it's late and you can't be bothered to double, double bag it. So you're just going to risk it. You start walking down the hall and then you feel it go. It rips uh, everywhere. The bag splits, mess everywhere. Absolute disaster. If you know how that feels, just hold on to that feeling and then just times it by like a hundred for uh, the characters' experiences in tonight's story. Uh, but we're drawing near to the end of 1 Samuel and it's been a beautiful journey. Um, it's been an amazing journey. We've seen the Lord's anointed, uh, which means just chosen in this case as a successor to the throne. We've seen the Lord's anointed Saul become king. He's then rejected the Lord and gone his own way. We've also seen David, who um, becomes anointed by the Lord and remains faithful, but he is not yet king. And there's been this big contrast between Saul and David. They've been clashing over this second half of the book. Saul has been chasing David, wanting him dead. David's been on the run. Saul knows that David is appointed by God and that he himself is rejected. There's been this back and forth tension. And in the last chapter, we saw Saul seeking the word of the Lord that he wanted, not the word of the Lord that was actually there. And his actions of the last chapter, if you were here last week, uh, only result in the Lord's, by his grace, just reminding Saul of what he already knows, that Saul is going to die. And the chapter ends, we finished last week, with his, Saul and his men heading off to battle. And as the reason, we are so ready for them to go to battle. We want a big battle scene. We're so ready to read about all of that fun stuff. But the writer of 1 Samuel doesn't give us that satisfaction. He doesn't satisfy our want for tidiness and straight lines and OCD. He pulls us back uh, a couple of, maybe a couple of days 
back to David. The camera pans back to David uh, and his men. And if you're making notes, there's a couple of, uh, there's a point on the boards, uh, if you, if you, if it's helpful for you. Uh, when God's servant is lost, our sovereign God quietly works. Um, so that's mainly chapter 30. So David has escaped and, uh, he's been living among the Philistines. Um, Saul is not going to go anywhere near the Philistines and David has found refuge there. Um, and you can head back to chapter 27 and, and read all about that, uh, later on if you want to. So he and around 600 of his men um, have been peacefully living there for a while. And the Philistine forces are gathering. Uh, They're getting ready for battle. And they're marching past the top Philistine commanders, like they're on parade. And the top Philistine commanders are there watching the parade go past. And they see this scrawly bunch of around 600 men with David there. And they call him out. They say, "Who's, who's this? Who's this guy? And they say they don't want him around. They've heard the stories. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. We don't want this guy coming to battle with us. He could possibly turn against us. So David is forced to leave the safety of the Philistines. And with his men, he starts trekking back home. The Philistines then head up to fight Saul, and we'll catch them next week in chapter 31. Now, chapter, chapter 29 seems like a bit of a non-event, doesn't it? If we, if we look, look through it, the, the Lord is not mentioned in the whole passage. But let's look at what's going on. David is away from Saul, safe. The Philistines are on their way to battle, to battle with Saul and his army, where, spoiler alert, Saul is going to be killed And we need to remember here that Saul is still the Lord's anointed. He's rejected by the Lord, yes, but he is still anointed. David, we have seen, has spared Saul's life twice already. And even though David will be king, he can't kill Saul. Imagine it like this. In uh, the USA, uh, you have a president, he's in charge uh, of leading the country. He gets the title of president and the power that comes with it. Um, and now think of like an ex-president, like uh, Obama. Um, he still has the title, but he has none of the power. And still an attempt on Barack Obama's life would be, uh, an att- in turn, an attempt on the current president's life. Even though David has all the blessing from God, and he's anointed to be king, the current king is still in charge. So the Lord's anointed cannot kill the Lord's anointed. So, in his grace, the Lord removes David from the situation of being involved in the battle and sends him in the complete other direction, which is where chapter 30 comes in and where we're going to spend most of our time this evening. Chapter 30, when God's servant is overwhelmed, our victorious God has sufficient strength. David and his men, they've just escaped that trap by God's grace of having to fight with the Philistines against Saul, and now they begin their long journey home. We see David, who's experienced wave upon wave of suffering. For the last 12 chapters, he's been battered by everything that's been thrown at him. And this chapter, we come to it thinking, can it get any worse for David? And the short answer is yes, it can, and it does, right here in chapter 30. Let's let's read from verse 3 of chapter 30. Sit down with me. 
When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. It seems after following David's story that we see suffering comes and then by God's grace he is rescued. God steps in and there's a moment to breathe. And then it happens all over again. And David is thrown back in the pit. And it can feel like that sometimes, can't it? For us. When the bottom drops out of life, the bin bag splits on life, and all the mess comes flowing out all over the cream carpet, and you just want to break down and cry. You can imagine how this must have felt for David. Maybe you feel like this. Maybe you feel like this right now. Like, I don't even know where to start cleaning this mess up. It could be your work. It could be your family. Maybe your school life. Our relationships with each other. With money. With the world. It could be a struggle with addiction or identity or mental health. We could be silently struggling with sin and we haven't told anyone. But whatever it is, there is good news for us this evening here in 1 Samuel. When they reach Thicklug, after three days on the march, they find a pile of smouldering rubble. No homes, no family. Must have been devastating. Another blow to David's, adding to an already long list of suffering. David's hometown destroyed, his wives captured, and his men want to stone him. Can't imagine what that's like, having 600 people want to stone you. David indeed is a suffering servant and once again overwhelmed by trouble. And it's, it's a bleak scene, isn't it? It's a bleak scene. But the end of verse 6, we see what David does. He finds strength in the Lord his God. He finds strength in the Lord his God. And maybe we read, strengthens himself in the Lord his God, and maybe different thoughts come to mind. We need to be careful here as we look at this that we're not saying God is just a quick fix or realizing the pressure of life is on so we go running to religion. The law's not a genie in a bottle that we can rub when things go wrong or a personal pain reliever that we can take to get on top of life's aches. But here's the amazing thing we have to hold on to. The Bible doesn't hide anything from us. It's not full of false advertising. The Bible doesn't hide this fact that life is hard. You may be overwhelmed with troubles. You may receive more than you think you can handle. But it's never more than God can handle. And the Bible is clear. It says you will have trouble in this life. But our God is a God we can trust. A God of strength, a God of comfort. And a God who extends strength and comfort to those who need it. But what does this look like in practice? We can say it so often, find strength in the Lord. But what does that look like in practice? Well, I think we can highlight two things 
that we see through 1 Samuel. Firstly, strengthening ourselves in the Lord looks like remembering the promises of his words. We can't read the end of verse 6 without being reminded of chapter 23, verse 16. Don't worry about turning there. It says this, And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him find strength in God. And look what follows, strengthening in God. Verse 17, Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I'll be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. It's the promise David receives, isn't it? You will be king over Israel. Throughout the Bible, God does, doesn't say whimsy statements off the cuff on the fly and doesn't think anything of them. Our God speaks truth. He makes promises to his people, but not promises, not human promises that get broken. He's a perfect God, making perfect promises to his people. And he will remain faithful to these promises. That's a guarantee. And friends, this evening, we need to be soaking in these promises all the time. All the time. Not just when things go wrong. It can just be easy to pick up the Bible then. All the time. Because it's easy to believe Isaiah 40, 29. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. When things are going well. It's easy to read that and say, yeah, I'm feeling that. Feeling the strength. Increasing the power. Amen. But on your knees in tears at 3 a.m. because you don't know what to do, it's a lot harder to believe, isn't it? But the promise is still true. Nahum 1 verse 7 says this, The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. I read of a man whose daughter tragically died and he wrote about this tragic loss in his journal. And alongside it, as he wrote out his pain, his anguish, he wrote out Nahum 1 verse 7 again and again. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. This is a reminder of God's character, isn't it? This promise of God's words, that's keeping him on his feet. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. But think of all the promises that the Lord has made to David. You will be king over Israel. He is the Lord's anointed, the one chasing after God's own heart. I think the second way we see even more clearly in this passage is using our access to the Lord's presence. Straight after weeping, until he had no strength, David gets up and goes to Abiathar the priest, gets the ephods, and verse 8, David inquired of the Lord. This shows David's amazing faith. How many of us, after everything falls apart, go straight and pray? Like, when it goes so wrong, the temptation can be like, (laughs) it can't, I don't even think God can sort this out. This is too messy. Too messy for God. But friends, this is where we need Jesus. David had to go to Abiathar, the priest, and inquire of the Lord. We have a greater priest, the Lord Jesus. And 
Hebrews 4.14 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended to heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Through Jesus as our priest, through prayer, through crying out to him, we can approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. David, in the rest of the chapter, through God's sovereignty, is able to go down, fight the Amalekites, and be victorious. He and his men, they recover everything that was stolen. Verse 19, nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. Even though it looked so, so bleak. That David was being brought through the lowest pit. God remained faithful. Even though in chapter 29 it looked like God was silent and he wasn't working, God was working out his will to save God's king. Though he was taken away from what David thought was a safe situation, the Lord was saving David from being involved in killing the Lord's anointed, King Saul. This chapter ends, and the Lord's anointed, David, is victorious over the Lord's enemies. And we'll just zoom out on this whole chapter as we finish, it begins in tragedy, but ends in triumph. It begins in tragedy, but ends in triumph. And this is a pattern we see throughout the Bible. And we see this most in the greater David, in the person of the Lord Jesus. We see the Son of God, King Jesus, hanging on a cross. Nails driven through his wrists and his feet. Thorns embedded in his head. Blood flowing down his face. Beaten and mocked and scorned and shamed and whipped and broken and spat upon. There is your king. Look at Jesus, Christ crucified. That seems hopeless, doesn't it? How can God fix this one? Jesus, the Son of God, crucified for our sin, seems to have all fallen apart, doesn't it? But though it starts in tragedy, it ends in triumph. Jesus does not stay dead. Three days later, he is risen. There is triumph. God has the victory. The Son of God has beaten death and sin. Even though David had to go through a deep pit, The Lord brings the victory. Even though Jesus had to go through the darkest, deepest pit of hell, the Lord brings victory. And even though we may be going through troubles, it might feel bleak even this evening. 
Friends, the Lord brings victory. Even though we may be tired and we have nothing left to give tonight, we are the end of ourselves. The Lord brings victory. There is forgiveness and freedom forever in Christ Jesus crucified. We have a saviour who has been there all before us. He's done it all, experienced everything we could possibly experience. And he will bring the victory. If not in this life, it's guaranteed for the next life. If we're trusting in Jesus. One day, this will all fade away. And Jesus will bring full and complete victory on the day he returns. So strengthen yourself in the Lord now. Find comfort and strength in him because he is coming back. There's going to be some questions on the screen. Um, I'm just going to read them out. And then uh, we can turn our tables and uh, discuss these. When it looks like God is not working in a situation, what thoughts go through our minds? Why can it be difficult to come to God in prayer when things go wrong? How does David's attitude to prayer challenge how we approach God? And lastly, practically, how can we reinforce the promises of God in our daily lives? Let's take some time to discuss these around our tables.